good to see you. Um, I, I, was, uh, I was just 15 and a half years old when uh, James Taylor released his second studio album, Sweet Baby James, right there. There it is. And, uh, you know, it, it became part of the sort of soundtrack of my life, right? And most of you don't even know who this guy is, but, uh, <laughs> but on that first, on this album, there was a lovely little song that some of you might have a little hint of it in your, the back of your minds that says, um, and I, my voice isn't quite working, but it says, I've seen fire and I've seen rain. I've seen sunny days that I thought would never end. I've seen lonely times when I could not find a friend, but I always thought that I'd see you again. And then the, the second verse says, uh, won't you look down upon me, Jesus? I want to, you got to help me make a stand. Uh, you just got to see me through another day, right? And, and you know what, I, I just love that song somehow, right? Um, uh, I love that he called out to Jesus, even though people call out to Jesus kind of all the time. But I like that. And he was calling out to Jesus because he'd seen lonely times when he could not find a friend. That's where I want us to, to kind of get to today. A bunch of the, the songs in the sort of soundtrack of my life are about friendship. And I'll probably mention a couple a little bit later. But the whole friend thing captures me. And of course, it captures me partly because it's my assignment to talk about a little bit today. But first, what I'd like us to do is uh, give me some feedback to kind of start the morning. This question. What do you think it is that makes a good friend? Um, and if you have it, how about a story of your life that illustrates it, right? So that's what I want you to do. Start by talking with the two, three, four people just nearby you, if you can, right? And just say to each other, what is it that makes a good friend? You know, the beauty of talking a little bit is it sort of gets, primes the pump, and then uh, we'll share it in a second, okay? So talk. What is it that makes a good friend talk to each other and make decide? Okay, okay, great. You're getting there. Finish up your thought. Not going to be able to preach today if I. Okay. 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 What did you hear? What are your suggestions? What is it that makes a good friend? And tell the story quickly if you've got one, okay? What's the ideas? Go ahead, be, be uh, brave. <laughs> Anybody have an idea? <laughs> just break the ice and then we'll be okay. Um, yeah. uh, just, it's simple in the, you guys said, I like a person that listens. So the person that catches up with, you know, you see them on the street, yeah. How is that building going? We're talking about making that last year. How yeah. is it done? Oh, we're kind of going through. You kind of instantly know where you left off. And yeah. You're listening for telling you to the next point. Yeah. Because because you listened or they listened or yeah yeah I love that. Okay, listening to one another. Yeah. Yeah, Dor. Um, having someone who's willing to like try to help the board, but also doesn't judge you for what you're struggling with. Okay, doesn't judge you. That's in, that's interesting. That's good. Yeah, it's gonna kind of come, yeah, back. Um, yeah, 
yeah. to a certain point, and we've talked about how we're younger, everyone's your friend, you always have with, like hundreds of best friends, and then as you get to yeah. kind of stick with, the, with those, and you know, you, even though you might hurt each other, you're still, yeah. you still come back to that, that same idea of yeah, over team friendship, yeah. and you're still together and still talk to each other, even though, yeah, you might have yeah. Through some rough times, either you or them. Yeah. That loyalty, stick stick together stuff. I like it there. Yeah. We talked about kind of that leap from like a surface level or like an acquaintance level friend to like a deeper friend where okay. you can be truly vulnerable and honest with that person. Um, you can kind of expose yourself to them and they will still love you like despite the sort of like maybe yeah. picky stuff under the surface. Yeah. But they'll love you there too. Yeah. I think, like, I've certainly experienced, like, just to share a story, I think I've certainly experienced that in our marriage. Like, I think you yeah. can't just tell everybody everything. everything. <laughs> you know, you, you maybe have, like, yeah. three people max in your life that you share that raw honest with. Yeah. Love it. Anything else standing out or I think, great uh, story? Yeah. What struck me as, a, as I get older with friends is that they don't have to have everything in common or think the same. Like yeah. there's something weird about like if you you can have friends who are just sort of think very differently, but something about it it's like very difficult to say what it is. Maybe it's loyalty and just kind of just interest kind yeah. of thing, you know, and maybe there's topics you don't talk about. Yeah. But that's <laughs> maybe that's part of being a friend too. Is is yeah. it like hopefully you get to talk about them sometimes, but you also yeah. I don't know. Maybe I just have acquaintances. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's good. Yeah, pretty good. Um, yeah, one of the the good Jane things. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who, who does? Jane? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I was gonna actually go almost yeah. like the reverse of what Michelle said. I'm, yeah. I'm I'm like an open book, and I sh- like probably overshare about my life and everything that's going on in it. Um, but I think the big difference is like the reciprocation of like how how genuine are, are you about caring about those like in depth yeah. details? Because I'll share yeah. something that's very vulnerable to yeah. other people. Yeah. But if you're just gonna be like, oh cool, okay, that was a lot, bye. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's maybe even partly you're talking about mutuality a little bit, the friendship yeah. t- two way thing of yeah. openness and and stuff like that. One of the one of the good things about getting old for me is that that I finally learned, and, and I think other generations learned this earlier. Actually, I'm seeing Jamie and others in my, in my head. Um, I finally realized that I, that I actually love my friends, right? And uh, I've even learned to say that to them. I mean, I started life during the 1950s, right? And the first half of the 1950s, and men weren't programmed for this back then. And I still feel a little awkward about it, but lots of e-notes or texts I write to my equally old friend Barry King, Barry and Ruth are away this weekend, say, uh, love Jay, right? And he says the same to me, you know, like friends are, are people that we love, which I used to just think of them as something else. I don't know quite what it was, but there's this loving thing. Okay, so we're not talking about friendship because of some songs I love. But because friendship, believe it or not, is a pretty big thing in the Christian gospel, right? The good news that we say Jesus brought into the world. One of the men who wrote a first-person account of the life of Jesus, 
all through the, the biography, calls himself the follower who Jesus loved. And it appears that, uh, that he was so caught by that particular friendship that being a friend became his default when dealing with others. So if you go to a letter that he wrote, what we call the first letter of John, that's the guy I'm talking about, you find that immediately he is calling everybody friend, right? He's friending people kind of up the wazoo. Um, so in chapter 2, verse 7, he says, Dear friends, I'm not writing a new command, right? In uh, chapter 3, verse 2, he says, Dear friends, now we are children of God. In chapter uh, 3, verse 21, he says, Dear friends. In chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Dear friends. In chapter uh, 4, verse uh, uh, 7, I've scribbled all over it. Uh, 4, verse uh, 7, yeah, dear friends, let us not love one another. In chapter 4, verse 11, dear friends, since God so loved us, right? He just, he's, he's just kind of defaulted to this. And actually, if you continue on through his other letters, 2nd and 3rd John, he does this a whole bunch more. But I really love the way he finishes 3 John, where it says, the, the friends here send their greetings greet the friends there by name, right? He's just, he's identifying all these followers of Jesus as friends for one another. It's kind of a, intriguing to me. Um, Bruce Coburn describes Christians as kind of a festival of friends, and that seems to be what stuck with John from, from the very beginning. Now remember that this fall, and even probably right through next Easter, we're trying to explore what it is that... Uh, this Christian community agrees with all Christian communities is the very core, the very, this very center of what we call the centered set of Christian beliefs and practices, the very middle, most important stuff. Not everything that some Christians believe and do, um, and this includes me, and it includes you, right, is the kind of living water that fills the pond in the center of the oasis that we all come to drink from. This is a metaphor that Nils used for us last summer to help us understand centered set. There's stuff at the middle that can draw us all together. We're not worried so much about the fences that might keep us all in. Not everything fits in the category of primary things, of really important stuff that Christians believe. Um, so Jeff and Ruth reminded us in recent talks, Jesus is certainly right there at the center, right? Uh, so are some other things that we'll probably talk about over the next years, but, but not everything is as close to the center as stuff like what I received uh, as a first importance. I passed on to what I received. I passed on to you as a first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised again the third day according to the scriptures, and he appeared, right? That's really primary. Um, not everything is primary as one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, the Ephesians 4 kind of language. Not everything is as primary as the Great Commandment and the Great Commission and the New Commandment, right? There's very primary kind of stuff. But for this fall, through next Easter, we're recognizing that Jesus is at the center of the center, right? And we're just trying to understand him, right? We're, we're recognizing that sometimes people... <clears throat> sorry you guys, have, have different ideas about him and particular ideas that aren't equally helpful or true 
as some other ideas about Jesus. So we're just trying to, to figure that out together. We're looking at his life and how the Bible describes him and what he was really like. We're looking for clarity, not really for fuzzy thinking, right? So we're thinking about Jesus. Jeff talked to us in September about, uh, from the words of a kind of ancient hymn <clears throat> recorded in Philippians that reminded us that Jesus was God who humbled himself for our benefit, right? He was, did this great self-controlling, self-emptying, right? And that was what early Christians understood from the very beginning. Thanks, Jeff. I'll uh, probably just fumble along anyway. Um, and Ruthie then reminded us that we can also learn who Jesus is really like uh, last month by the way he treated all the rest of the people around him the crowds and the foreigners and the interested and the barely aware that he lived completely available to others, right? That he was open and responsive. He listened to them and he healed them and he fed them and etc. And she reminded us that's how we're to be, right? So by looking at Jesus, we're trying to figure out what it is that really is at the center and we're trying to figure it out in a little more, more detail. But of course, Jesus also dealt with people who didn't like him we're going to hear about that in a couple of weeks. And people who really liked him. And that's this next uh, slide, Jeff. Um, Jesus had a bunch of friends. I, I think an argument can be made from those Jesus biographies that these were the people he was actually with the most, right? They ate with him. They uh, traveled with him. They, they visited with him. He, he took them to the parties he was invited to. There's lots of parties in the, in the Gospels. They were there when he healed. They heard the stories, and they heard the sort of deeply poetic preaching. I wonder if Jesus had to clear his throat a lot. But anyway, um, he, he gave them jobs to do. You know, feed these 5,000 plus, plus, plus people. Go to town telling people that the, the gospel of the kingdom is here. The kingdom of God has arrived. Whatever that meant. Go fetch me a donkey. Right? He just gave them things to do. He hung with these people. And that's what you see all through the, the stories of the gospels. He's just with people, particularly his friends. Now, this won't be a surprise whether you... Uh, take your Jesus sort of triple, triple sweet or strong and bitter. But when you read the stories, what actually stands out is how much warm emotion he had for those people. He really, he really loved them. He felt it, and, and they felt it back from him. For example, it really is worth reading or rereading, if you haven't for a while, the story of Jesus' friendship with two sisters and a brother it's recorded in what we call the Gospel of John, chapter 11, right? Um, so how about some of us read, someone, someone of us read this out loud. I won't because that'll save me from having to talk a little bit more. And this is just kind of a narrative-only version. I've, I've dumped a few verses that are more explanatory of things. But how about, who will read it? Yeah, you got it. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with his hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. 
that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. And Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Yeah, Lazarus is dead. Remember it, right? But maybe in the past he didn't recognize all those things that, that Jesus says, right? He talks about our friend Lazarus, right? He says, this is a person you know and we, we love. Um, <coughs> when he's sent for, they say, the one you love is sick to, to death, right? Uh, the, John records that line, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, right? He, he describes him this kind of way. Now, it's even amplified more in this next slide, which comes just at the end of the time, just before Lazarus is... Uh, is brought back to life, which is obviously a spoiler, but I think you know the story <laughs> probably already. So it says this, when, when Jesus saw her weeping, this is Mary, he meets her outside, and the Jews who'd come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where, where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Right? It's just, this story is all about Jesus having a deep, warm friendship with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. They weren't just acquaintances of Jesus. Um, he deeply cares for these friends of his. Now, how many people here are 57 years old or less? Uh, yeah, basically, all of you, one of you is lying, of course. Um, <laughs> basically, um, all of you weren't around when uh, Barry King and I met 57 plus years ago, and it's good Barry's not here because I'm referring to him um, regularly. Um, it took me 57 years to be able to tell Barry that I loved him, right, or something close to that. Jesus seems a lot more relaxed about loving his friends a lot more quickly, right? He probably knew Mary and Martha and Lazarus for a couple of years at the very most at this point, right? These are people that he just already is talking about loving. When he says to his followers at the Last Supper, and this is recorded in John 15, I no longer call you servants, instead I call you friends. He hasn't known any of those people for more than a few years, right? Some of them for just months, probably. Um, and of course he says, I call you friends in a section of the Bible that particularly suggests that his words are for his followers to be, right? It's a little talk where he says, and I'm also thinking about the ones who are coming later, and that means you and me, right? It's that Jesus seems to be completely available to be a friend to people very quickly. Now, when Jesus says that at the Last Supper, as my nephew Mark said a year and a half ago, I heard him say this, the people he's talking to, one is a denier, one's a betrayer, and ten are deserters, right? That's one plus one plus ten is twelve, right? That's everybody there. And yet he says, I'm not calling you my servants, I'm calling you particularly my friends. Matthew 26:50 amplifies it even more. When a cohort of Roman soldiers comes to arrest Jesus, it's led by a man named Judas, one of the guys at the meal, and Jesus goes over to him and says, friend, 
do what you have to do. It's not cynical, really. I don't think you can hear that in the language. So if the first lesson today is that Jesus really loved his friends, this is the second one. Jesus wasn't finicky about who his friends were, right? He was willing to take on those other kinds of people. Um, you didn't have to measure up. Perhaps that's why Ruth discovered for us that Jesus listened to and cared for all the rest because he was actually kind of seeing them as pre-friends, right? He actually said, "These are I'm, I'm open to friendship, to all kinds of people. Now, there is subtext, right? You don't want to ignore this in the Bible. Jesus says to the 12, you're my friends if you do what I command. But this isn't brought up as a barrier to friendship, more a way to push his friends towards following a new kind of command. He still brings peace to those disobedient people after he comes back to life. He still brings denier Peter back into a leadership role, actually gives him more of a role of leadership, even though he didn't do what Jesus commanded, right? Um, he still calls Judas his friend as he betrays him, right? So there's not a denial of friendship. There's a pushing to be a certain kind of friend that you'll find in John 15. This person at the center of our lives here, we're saying, is uh, looking for friends, right? Uh, supposedly, Carol King wrote a response to James Taylor's, I've seen lonely times when I could not find a friend. And I'm sure it's been made into a Christian song, and that's kind of embarrassing. But, but the words are, you just call out my name, and you know wherever I am, I'll come running to see you again. Winter, spring, summer, or fall, all you have to do is call, and I'll be there. Uh, yes, I will. You've got a friend. Right? It does sound like Jesus, doesn't it? It's this, this absolute looking for friendship. He's not, just, he's not just willing to love his friends, but he wants friends. And he's adding them as quickly as he can. <clears throat> we can have a friend in Jesus, right? If, if Margie was here, she'd be in her head. She'd be, the words would be going. She wouldn't sing it out loud, but she'd say, what a friend we have in Jesus. I know it's whatever, where she goes whenever anything's not right. All our sins and griefs to bear, right? She'd be, she, she just knows that that's the person that he is. However, I think you know that the gentle, loving Jesus isn't the whole story. The gentle, loving friend. In Mark 10, uh, Jesus' friends rebuke people for bringing children to him. And I think you can hear the irritation in his voice when he tells them, let the kids come, right? Suffer the little children, whatever that means, to come to me. They should have read the previous chapter where he says that if anyone harms one of these little ones, right, they, they should have a big weight hung around their neck and be thrown into the sea. And then they wouldn't have said that. Um, the same chapter of Mark 2, Jesus' friends, James and John, ask him to do whatever they ask, right? Uh, meaning... In particular, they want a good position in his kingdom. They don't know that uh, this is the kind of upside-down kingdom where the prince doesn't claw his way to the top. He serves his way to the bottom, right? But, but they want to be in charge. Jesus says to them, those places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Right? He, he kind of has no nonsense with James and John. The Garden of Gethsemane, hours before Jesus is going to die, after being overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He comes to this uh, 
snoring support group, right? And he says, could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? I mean, Jesus doesn't pussyfoot with these guys. Or how about his relationship with Peter, Matthew 16, following Jesus' confession that Jesus, Peter's confession that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Peter takes Jesus aside and kind of rebukes him and says, don't say you're going to die and come back to life. Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan, right? Maybe that kind of friend you'd stop being friendly with if they called you Satan. Peter in Matthew 17 has just seen Jesus appear with Moses and Elijah, bright shining light, and uh, he says some dumb thing, makes a dumb suggestion, and God speaks from heaven, Jesus is God. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him, right? There's, there's just this intensity when he replies to this man. John 13, Peter says, I'll lay down my life for you, Jesus. Jesus says, the words directly from the NIV, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times, right? Now, Hillary's husband, my son Luke, actually, same guy, and I, we were talking about Jesus and uh, friends on Friday at lunchtime, and, and uh, Luke was talking about his relationship with a real good friend. He said, well, what I say to him is, I no longer call you friend, instead I call you servant. <laughs> and I, uh, I won't go into the details of how much my friend Andy and I talk trash one another, because it's R-rated, actually. <laughs> so, so I can't really share it with the whole group, but... But I I don't think that's what we have here, right? Um, I think that Jesus' straight talk with his friends is actually about that openness and kind of honesty. I don't think it arises out of bossiness. I think it actually arises out of that kind of humility that Jeff introduced us to from Philippians chapter 2, right? Jesus sees the world the way it really... Humility is obviously not about pride, but it's also not about thinking you're scum, right? It's about seeing things real, right? And understanding the way things actually are. Jesus knew who he was. He wasn't a know-it-all. He just actually knew it all, um, of course. Um, And he deeply, truly cared for his friends, so he loved them, and he looked after them, and he told them the truth, right? He respected them enough to do that. Peter did disown him, right? He did. It was the truth. Children do have access to Jesus, right? They can come and make a little noise right here, right? There's, or even a lot of noise sometimes because they have access to Jesus, right? Um, the James and John are not the bosses of the next world, right? None of that. That's the truth, right? And I think that even if we sometimes don't really like the idea, this is the kind of friend that we need who helps us see who we really are, right? Jesus is not, he loves people, and he wants more friends, but he doesn't pussyfoot with people. Because This is the kind of Jesus we find in the Bible. And then, there are Jesus' most famous lines about friendship, which I've referred to already, right? They're part of a long paragraph in John 15. Look at, look at this, right, where I, obviously some of the verses I want you to attend to. <laughs> the big ones, right? Where he says, you know, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, 
I have called you friends. Now, now this is where we get to most weeks of peace community, reminding ourselves that he laid down his life for his friends, right? This is where we kind of land most weeks. He died for all of his friends who didn't and don't do what he commands, right? He died for them is what we're saying, right? And per John 3.16, because of love for them is why he did it, right? And he did it not just for us, but for the whole world. In fact, if I'm reading the Greek right, for the cosmos, for all things. He was trying to draw everything together. God was under him. So I want to share communion a bit differently today. If you want to be part of this kind of ceremony, what I want you to do while I'm talking is to come and get a piece of this little cracker. There's some little tiny crackers that don't crunch as much and some bigger ones that crunch a lot. And you can take either of those. There's some grape juice here and because I'm leading communion, there's some wine over there on top of the piano. Um, so while you do that, let me, let me expand this idea a little bit more of Jesus dying for us. So come on along and I'll, I'll keep talking while we do it. Um, you have to hold them for a few minutes. You can put the little glass on the floor if you need to or want to. But, uh, but there we are. Lots of you know that uh, Barry and Ruth and uh, Margie and I were on a trip around the Mediterranean for three weeks in October, right? Some of you don't know that, but we were, right? Um, a gift to us from dear friends, right? Let me tell you about the beginning of the trip, which started in Israel, right? Now, this was a, you know, it's a trip that wasn't particularly a Holy Land trip, but we arrived in Israel on a Friday, and, uh, and the next morning, we got on a bus, we went to see Lake Galilee, right? We went to the Sea of Galilee, which was quite cool, actually. You know, we, were, we gathered on a little hillside above Lake Galilee, the place where supposedly Jesus did the Sermon on the Mount. There's a convent there now. It's not a big deal, but that's where we were. And, uh, and Ruth, the, the guide, actually, this wasn't a Christian tour, but the guide gave Ruth uh, King her, his Bible and said, would you read the Beatitudes? And it was quite powerful, you know. There was people all around us who also stopped and uh, listened to them being read and talked to Ruth on the ship later about saying, man, those words were, were really great, right? It was quite, quite neat. Then we drove, got back on the bus and we drove down to the, beside the lake and we were just turning to go towards Nazareth. Um, and the, the guide at the front of the, of the, of the uh, bus said, an old man, I mean probably a couple of years older than me, um, but, but he, an old Jewish guy said, uh, oh folks, I'm sorry, I, I've just been told we have to go straight back to the church. Um, something very out of the ordinary has happened in Israel. Um, and you guys all know what it is. It was the beginning of what, whatever we call it officially, is very warlike, right? And uh, so we rushed back to, to the ship in Haifa and, uh, and a, a tour had to come back from Jerusalem. They saw rockets and the iron uh, shield or iron dome working. Um, and then we rushed away, right, on our luxury cruise, right? It's probably the one of the most deep things that happened to me on that trip. And I saw lots of cool stuff, right? But it's things I'd never seen. Um, but immediately I, I thought of uh, a poem that I mentioned in a communion devotional uh, a piece a couple of years ago. But it's such a good poem, it comes back to me. And this one was stuck in my mind. This poem is 
Auden's reflection on this picture, landscape with the fall of Icarus by, by Peter Bruegel, the, the elder, right? So you can see that down here in the bottom corner are some little legs in the, in the water. And some of you will remember that the myth of Icarus is about a, a boy and his dad who make wings, and they, and, but Icarus, the sun, flies too close to the sun, and the wax that holds his feathers on fall, melts, and he falls in the ocean. Um, but you can see that <coughs> it's mostly a landscape, and there's that little tiny fall of Icarus in the corner. I, uh, the final lines of the poem, Jeff, go to that, caught me first, you know, that would say, the sun shone as it had to on the white legs disappearing into the green water, and the expensive, delicate ship that must have seemed something amazing, a boy falling out of the sky, had somewhere to get to and sailed calmly on, right? Kind of intriguing, hey? Um, the, the, the verse that starts the second stanza, everything turns away quite leisurely from the disaster. Like, I, I was just so, so aware of this. And then those first few lines that where Auden says about suffering, they were never wrong, the old masters. How well they understood its human position. How it takes place while someone else is eating or opening a window or just walking dully along. I know there's something about this that reflects on the life and death of Jesus, I think. Um, I mean, it certainly impacted me thinking about this trip, but, but let me take you back to John 15, where, where in the message it says, this is the very best way to love, put your life on the line for your friends. Or 1 John 3.16, which I really love, that says, this is how we know what love is, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We say about the whole Jesus story is that it was the best way to love. We're going to think about this, right? It was the, the ultimate expression of love, that it was a laying down of God's human life to defeat sin and death and the devil, to give us life, right? Um, this is absurd language. We're saying that one obscure example of capital punishment changed everything, right? What a, we're crazy people talking like that with significant chutzpah, right? What a nerve to say that this little thing that happened in the corner and everything just went on around it, this little Roman crucifixion, just another Roman crucifixion, cruel crucifixion, was hardly noticeable and dogs went on with their doggy lives, Auden would say. And you know what, I think that is often true of big things and of suffering. But I'm asking you to, on one more Sunday, to kind of stand with me against Bruegel and Auden's interpretation of this act, and at least when it comes to the death of Jesus. I think that we're saying to one another, and anyone who drops in, that the extreme friendship of Jesus isn't just another pair of naked legs disappearing into the sea or into a tomb carved in the rock. Right? This isn't Jesus from failing hands throwing us the torch, right? We actually believe that Jesus won the day for us. This death of Jesus wasn't just Auden's words, suffering, dreadful martyrdom, disaster, and failure. We're saying that this kind of friendship found in the person and the work of Jesus 
isn't just the center of the centered set of what Peace Christian Community is staking its life on. It's actually the center of everything, right? Which is kind of weird, eh? That this is the center of everything. So, I want you to take the, those elements, and I want this next line here, Jeff. I'm going to take a little quiet cracker. Um, oops. One, one more. One, one more. Yeah. Um, okay, go back one. Okay. Back one, yeah. Ah, this is the line I want. Okay. So that's what we're, we're saying, right? We're saying this isn't just a little obscure. This is the very best way to love, right? That someone did this for us. So I want us to say it together. We'll take the bread and we'll take the cup, the wine. Bread given, body given for us. Jesus' body given for us. Wine, his blood poured out for us. Let's, uh, let's say this together. We might have to do it a couple of times. The very best way to love. Put your life on the line for your friends. Now, just look at what you're holding for a second, okay? And uh, let's say it again. The very best way to love. Put your life on the line for your friends. Let me pray. Father, we're, uh, we're here to remind one another and the universe that uh, we've understood where the very best loving ever happened, where the best friendship was ever initiated, and it was done by your son when he died for us. Help us to, to get a hold of that and to, and to see this core thing about Jesus, that he loved his friends, that he, that he was true to his friends, that he's looking for friends, but more than that, that he died for his friends. We're some of those. And so we thank you for this remembrance in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm not going to do the rest of what I have because I got a bunch of good, important announcements. We got to drink coffee, but but let me. But I'll give you. I will give you this one more slide that Jeff showed us. You notice that I've uh, I've flipped the. Uh, you already saw this passage, except it used to have big black stuff in the middle and little tiny stuff on the edges. But look at where Jesus says, you know, you're my friends, and the greater love is no one than this to lay down life for friends. First, he introduces it. It's actually not the beginning of the paragraph. It's even longer. He says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Right? Um, and then he finishes it by saying, this is my command, love each other. Right? Just a few minutes earlier in John 13, 34, 35, a verse that some of you might know, right? he says, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must also love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. That's the, that's the arising out of it thing, right? Um, it's worth saying that to us when we discovered that Jesus was open and to the people he didn't even know and was willing to serve them. She said, oh, we're supposed to be like that, serving freely like that. And I'm saying, yeah, this is what we're supposed to do. If you go through scripture, 
I have it all down here. There's tons of reminders of this. Love each other, love each other, love one another, love one another, over and over and over through the rest of the Bible. So that's, you know, easy to say, and I uh, won't get into any more detail because 